0: Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer, and I'm the Worship Arts Pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon, and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. So let me pray as we open our sermon this morning. Lord Jesus, we are here for you. It was so encouraging to be here this morning to sing songs of praise Because you are not in a grave somewhere, there is no uh, marker to mark where you lay, but you are ascended to the right hand of the Father where all things have been put under your feet. You are the King of kings and we are so delighted to praise you and be in your presence today. And I pray as as we worship together, as we continue to worship through the scripture and through the stories of your life, that we would know that you are alive that our eyes would be pulled away from the things that that we get fixated on and our eyes would become fixated on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray our hearts would would be fanned into flame, a passion for your name and your purpose. And I pray for those who are here wondering if they even believe in you, that you would meet with them today, that you would speak to them today. And I pray this in your mighty and powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. He is risen. I just love doing that with the whole church. That's fantastic. It was just a few days ago. It was Good Friday. And on Good Friday, we remember the agony of the cross. We remember the death of Jesus. We step into the sorrow of that day and we reflect on the sacrifice as Jesus carried our sins in his body on the cross. And so as we acknowledge the sorrow of that day, we also acknowledge the hope that is found in having our sins forgiven, our sins carried in his body in that cross. But the death of Jesus is not all there is to it. Full victory is not found in Jesus' body in a tomb. Full victory is found when we read those words in the Gospels, the angel saying, he is not here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. The Apostle Paul puts it very bluntly like this. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is Is useless, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest for all who have died. A promise of eternal life because of our union with the risen Christ. And so the cross was the beginning of the end of sin's grip on humanity. But it was Jesus' resurrection that was the final blow to sin and to death. And from the day that Jesus was raised to life, nothing has been the same since. Jesus is alive we just need to like rest in the mystery and the amazing promise that that contains for us that jesus is alive his presence will always be with us although he has ascended to heaven he interacts with us still through his word through his spirit through revealing his very presence to us jesus is our living hope In fact, if we follow Jesus, we're told this in Scripture, that the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living in you. That's a phenomenal promise. Secured for us because Jesus rose from the grave. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us now. In the church calendar, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus once a year at Easter. But in reality, in our lives, we experience the power and the reality of the resurrection every day of our lives. It's not only a past event, it is a current reality. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. So do I. I'm with Paul. I want to know Christ and experience the power that raised him from the dead. And the promise is that we can because the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. That's a phenomenal promise. So Paul's telling us here that the resurrection is not only a future hope, right? The promise of eternal life, which is a glorious promise, but it's not limited to that promise. The resurrection is not only a future hope. It's a present reality. So what do I mean when I say the resurrection is a present reality? What I mean is that it's still possible for Jesus to reveal himself in new and unexpected ways to us. Because Jesus is alive. He is our living hope through his resurrection from the dead. So this means he can appear to us in dreams and in visions and through speaking to us in scriptures that seem to jump out at us and burn in our hearts. Sometimes Jesus simply appears and surrounds us with his presence, and we know he's with us, though we may not see him. I've even been in situations at the, at the death of a loved one, when it's a, a believing family, and we gather in that hospital room, and we can sense the presence of the Lord with us in that space, because death does not have the victory. We do not grieve like those who have no hope, because we know that Jesus has conquered death and his presence is with us. And so the resurrection confirms this, that when Jesus said, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, he really meant that. His presence dwells in us through his Holy Spirit in us. So today as we're celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive, I want to remind you of this promise of Jesus that he is with us. His presence is with us. His spirit dwells within us and he makes the presence of Jesus known to us in a variety of ways. It was a few years ago, I think quite a few years ago now, that I went out for a one-day prayer retreat to the Kingsfold Retreat Center, which I'm sure you know some of you have probably been out there. Beautiful place, not that far away from here. And they have a path at Kingsfold that you can walk and pray down. And the path is called the Emmaus Road Prayer Walk. And along that prayer walk, they have places where you stop and they have Scripture posted. And you read the Scripture and you pray through the Scripture. And most of these Scripture passages are stories, accounts of where Jesus appeared to his followers after he's risen from the grave. And as I came to the end of the walk, I wrote this down in my prayer journal. I'll share it with you. I wrote, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in her sorrow. He appeared to Thomas in his doubt. He appeared to Peter in his failure. He appeared to Cleopas and the other disciple in their confusion. He appeared to the 11 disciples in their fear. And he appeared to Paul in the midst of his sin. And then I wrote this at the end. Jesus meets us where we are in our journey. He meets us in our grief, in our fear, in our doubt, in our failure, in our joy, and even in our sin. His presence is always with us, but we can be more aware of his presence when we're at a point in life when we need him most. And then I was like, I need to preach on this, and it took me years before I could figure out how to put to words the the feeling that I had experienced when I realized that Jesus is always with us. And that he meets us in all these different places in life. So today what I want to do is just go through three encounters that people had with the risen Jesus. We're going to look at Mary Magdalene, Thomas, and Paul. Back when Paul was better known as Saul and killing the Christians and persecuting them. So here's, let's start with Mary's story. Mary, I'll actually just read it right from scriptures. John chapter 20. And so if you, it's going to be up on the screen too so you don't have to worry if you don't have it. Um, well, let me read it. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, "'Woman, why are you crying?' "'Because I've taken away my Lord,' she told them, "'and I don't know where they've put him.' Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. "'Woman,' Jesus said to her, "'why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking?' Oh, Jesus, just <laughs> Jesus said to her, <laughs> "Who is it you're seeking?" Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, "Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away." Jesus said to her, "Mary." Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, "Rabboni," which means "Teacher." Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Such a a short story, but to me it's so powerful. It tells us how God meets us in our grief. And I was was reading through different, you know, commentators when I was putting this together and the, the kind of general consensus is that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene first on that resurrection morning because of the great depth of her grief. God knows the depths of our grief and will come to us through the Spirit or through another believer in that time of our agony and our vulnerability. And what you also see here is that there is so much power when Jesus calls our name. I love that opening song, he called my name and I ran out of that grave. Jesus knows your name. He calls your name. And there's a power there when Jesus calls her name. It breaks through the grief and the sorrow and the anxiety. Mary didn't recognize Jesus at first. But when he spoke her name, his voice cut through that grief and that pain and she saw him. This isn't limited to Mary Magdalene, by the way. There's people throughout history, even into our current present day, who have heard the voice of Jesus speak their name and it's changed the course of their life. One uh, commentator, professor, theologian that I quite like is Dr. Ben Wetherington III, which is a fantastic name, by the way. Uh, Gives you some, like, you know, weight behind that. But if I ever see anything written by him, I go, okay, well, I'll listen to him. He's a smart dude. But he did some, he's a theologian and professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, and he's done research into people in our modern day who say they've heard the voice of Jesus call their name, and it has radically changed everything about their life. And he says, one of the reasons that I've researched this phenomenon is because it happened to me. Once and only once. He says it was back in the 1970s. He was at Carolina at University. He said, you know, the Vietnam War was going on, and even though support for it was going down, they were still drafting people. He had a draft number, his draft number was 192. He was in a lot of internal turmoil. He said he was distant and alienated from God. He was even angry with God because of the war and what it had done to some of his friends. He said the pressure of it was, was building up inside of him and he actually had to go to the clinic one day because he was having a constant ringing in his ears and high blood pressure and anxiety and they couldn't find anything physically wrong with him so they said it's, it's stress, it's, it's internal anxiety and they sent him to a counselor but he, the counselor didn't seem to be able to make any breakthrough with him and nothing was getting resolved. He was living with this internal anxiety and and fear and worry and he said one night, it was very late at night and he was walking across the campus mulling his life over when he heard a voice. He said at first he thought it was just a friend shouting across the field at him, but he said the voice just kept saying, Ben, Ben. He said he looked everywhere but there was nobody around. He says, I mean no one. There was no human soul out there at the wee hours in the morning like I was, but the experience he said was very unsettling. He wasn't expecting it. It came out of nowhere. Later on, he said, when he was puzzling over this experience with a friend of his, a friend pointed him to a Bible verse. He said he didn't know the Bible all that well at the time, but these verses seem to have been written just for him, and it's John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, and his sheep follow him because they recognize the sound of his voice. He said, as soon as I read those verses, it changed me. You see, my name Ben means son in Hebrew. When I heard that voice on the field, it sounded like a familiar voice calling my name. It sounded like a father calling out to his son. And hearing that voice that day put me on a different path, one I'm still treading today. And, you know, I've, I've learned from him, so I'm very thankful that Jesus spoke, called his name, and brought him out of that place of, of anger at God and, and questioning and, and the internal anxiety and stress and has led him into this place In addition to Dr. Witherington, you know, there's hundreds of normal, intelligent Christians who are following Jesus today because they heard a voice that they recognized as the voice of Jesus calling their name. It's amazing if you go looking for the stories of this, how many people will say, I had this strange experience one time, only once, when I heard Jesus say my name. And it broke through, you know, the the place I was in. And the point is that because Jesus is alive today, he makes his voice heard, he makes his presence known, he's accessible, and he's nearer to us than we might think. How comforting is it to know that Jesus can step into our world and speak our names and words of comfort to us? This is what it means to have a living Savior, by the way, is that he's not distant and removed, he's here now. Let's move on and look at Thomas and his encounter with the risen Christ. It's just a few, just a little bit over in John chapter 20. But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. I don't know about you, I I identify so much with Thomas. Thomas. I would absolutely be the guy who all 11 of my friends are saying, Jesus is alive, we saw him. And I'd be like, no, you didn't. I don't know what you guys were doing, but you didn't see Jesus. He's dead. We saw that. That's me. I'm, I'm the cynical, suspicious guy. I, I wouldn't believe what my friends would say. I'd say, if, if I see it myself, maybe I'll believe. But I'm not going to just take your word for it. Because I'm kind of naturally cynical and suspicious. So I see myself as Thomas in this story. But I believe that Thomas wanted it to be true. He wa- but he just wanted to be sure it was really true. And I think it's interesting that Jesus waits an entire week before he appears to Thomas. And I believe that Thomas would have spent that week wrestling with what the other disciples told him. He wants it to be true, but he wants to be sure. And finally, after a week of praying and searching and questioning and doubting, Jesus appears, and Thomas has his doubts erased. And this is another place that Jesus meets us. He meets us in our doubt, in our searching, and in our questioning. When Wayne Busada was 17 years old, a friend invited him to a youth group meeting in Dallas at a Methodist church in Dallas, Texas. Wayne went because, in his words, he had nothing better to do, which is, you know, that's an okay reason to go to youth. you got nothing better to do, you might as well go to youth group. The youth event, he said, was kind of lame. Ours isn't, because uh, we got Jason Diminick here, and he's fantastic. <laughs> Ours isn't lame. But that one was. He said all they did was they played an audio recording of Pastor Pete Marshall, a chaplain in the United States Senate. But Wayne said, that even though everything was kind of boring and kind of lame, what he was struck by was how this chaplain would speak about Jesus as if he knew Jesus, as if he had coffee with Jesus every day. And Wayne thought, I want that. How do you you get to this place where you seem to know Jesus like he's your best friend? So that started weighing on a personal search. Every day when he got home from school, he committed to doing two things. He would read one chapter of the Bible, and then he thought, I don't know what else to do. I'll say the Lord's Prayer. And he said, I'm going to do that. And it was pretty difficult because the only copy of the Bible they had was the King James 1611 version. So it's pretty dense, pretty obscure. Like half the time, I don't even know what I'm reading in it. And the 17-year-old kid is reading it. And at the end of every chapter, he's praying the Lord's Prayer. He thought maybe that would help him figure out how this chaplain seemed to have this friendship with with Jesus. But he said in the back of his mind, he always had a burning doubt. It wasn't like he was sure this was working. He wasn't even sure God was real. He wasn't even sure he believed. He thought, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to see if anything happens. And luckily, he's a persistent guy. He did it for about a month a month of doing the same thing, a chapter of the Bible saying the Lord's Prayer. And one night when he went, he woke up in the middle of the night, about a month of this, and he heard his name being called. He sat up in bed and he called out, what? But he heard nothing and assuming he was having a strange dream, he went back to bed. The very next night he was woken up again, hearing his name being called again. This time he thought it was his mom calling him, so he shouted out, what? Didn't hear anything, so he went back to bed. The next night, When he was getting ready for bed, he had those last two nights experiences in his head. And he knew what he was going to do if it happened a third time. So when he woke up for the third night in a row, hearing his name being called, he knew something important was happening. From his reading of scripture, he concluded that God must be calling to him as he had called to others in scripture. So this time, Wayne said, Lord, what do you want? Here I am. He must have been reading 1 Samuel, right? At that moment, Wayne felt a presence Move into and fill the room. Today, Wayne says that he still doesn't know quite how to put into words exactly what he experienced, but he said he knew in that moment that Jesus had entered his room and was coming towards him. And Wayne had this knowledge that Jesus was looking at him and that Jesus knew everything about him, every good thing and every bad thing and everything that he didn't want anyone to know about. Jesus knew it all. But he said the amazing thing was I knew that Jesus was looking at me not with condemnation but with love. That remained and prevailed. He said, even though he didn't, he knew Jesus was there, he wasn't seeing him with his physical eyes, but he reached out and he felt the robe that Jesus wore. And as he touched the robe, Wayne said, I'm not happy with my life. Would you come over? Would you take over my life? He said, The moment he said those words, Wayne says he, he describes the experience. The only words he can put to it is, he said, I felt like waves of liquid love flowing through me. Wayne describes incredible joy incredible peace. He said he even heard music for a time, and the experience was so profound he wept until he fell asleep. And when Wayne woke up the next morning, he didn't have, you know, Christian terminology to explain what had happened, you know, justification by faith or, you know, new life in Jesus. He just knew everything had changed. He knew, he said, I'm a completely different person. He knew that he was a different person. And Wayne is now a bishop in the communion of evangelical Episcopal churches, like Thomas, Wayne encountered the risen Christ in his time of searching and even in his doubt. This is what the resurrection means for us. It means Jesus is alive and can make himself known to us. His very presence can come and minister to us. And this is what makes Christianity so different from any other religion. It's that Jesus has no tomb. He's alive and speaking to us still. We don't worship a religion or a dead man's wise words. We worship a living And present Savior. There are no limits to where Jesus may reveal his presence. Most remarkably, Jesus will show up even in the midst of sin. Our biblical example of this is the Apostle Paul when he was still more commonly known and well known as Saul, and he was traveling to Damascus to hunt down Christians and arrest them, perhaps to even see them executed. That would have been his desire. This is how Luke describes it in Acts. Acts chapter 9, Luke says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. I mean, Saul at this time in his life is violently opposed to anything related to Jesus. He hates Jesus. You want to know what a terrorist looks like? This is Saul, terrorizing people. Hating Jesus, wanting to see the followers of Jesus persecuted and even executed. He would have approved of Jesus' crucifixion. He stood by and approved of the stoning of Stephen when Stephen was put to death. Yet when Jesus appears to Saul in the middle of his rebellion and sin, on the way to persecute followers of Jesus, he brings Saul to salvation. And it's remarkable how often Jesus appears to people in the midst of their deepest places of sin and shame and hurt. It reminds me of the story of um, a fairly famous author, Anne Lamott, who tells her conversion story. And we see in her story how Jesus enters into the mess of our lives to bring forgiveness and to bring freedom Anne said that she had occasionally been going to a small church, but she always just sat in the back, and she only stayed for the singing. It's so typical. Everyone stays for the good music. Don't stick around for the sermon. Um, And she'd always leave before the message, right? And Anne, at this point, she said she was addicted, heavily addicted to pills and to alcohol. She'd had an affair with a married man, and she'd gotten pregnant, and then she'd had an abortion. And she says, for a week after the abortion, I just stayed at home. I smoked dope, I got drunk, and I tried to write a little bit. But on the seventh night of just doing the same old thing, as I lay there, I became aware of someone with me, kind of just sitting down in the corner. And the feeling was so strong, I turned on the light for a moment to see if there was someone actually in my room. But of course, there wasn't. But after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the presence in my room was the presence of Jesus. And she was appalled at that thought. She thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian. And it seemed an utterly impossible thing that I just could not allow to happen. And so she turned to the wall and she said out loud to the presence of Jesus, "Well, I'd rather die than be a Christian. And then she fell asleep. But she, before she fell asleep, she felt him sitting there just waiting. He didn't leave. When she said, I would rather die than be a Christian, he didn't leave. She said, I felt him sitting there watching me with patience, with love. She said, I put my eyes shut as tight as I could, but that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. Finally, I fell asleep, and in the morning, he was gone. So when she woke up in the morning, she kind of shook it off and thought, man, I have too much booze, too many pills, too much drugs, like enough of that. But all day, she felt like someone was following her around, like a presence was with her. She continued to feel this presence of Jesus that she knew was Jesus for a week. Didn't change any of her behavior. She went to church again. But this time, she was so hungover, she couldn't stand up for the songs. But during the last song, she said something completely different happened. She writes that as people were singing songs of praise, it was like she was being held by Jesus. She opened up to that feeling, but she raced out of the church, and she ran home, and when she got to her door at, the, at her house, she said, okay, I quit. All right, you can come in. And that's how Anne Lamott became a Christian. See, Anne was a person whose life felt like a failure, Certainly she felt like her life was a mess and it was when she was at her very lowest point that Jesus reached out to her. She knew that she was a mess. God knew that she was a mess and he wanted to love her anyways. Jesus entered into her life in the midst of sin and rebellion and offered forgiveness and love. And this is what our faith is all about. It's all about the resurrection of our Savior who is at work in our world and in our lives today. Because the resurrection means Jesus is alive right now. His presence is with us through his Holy Spirit in us. And we can even now expect to meet with him, to see him, to hear him, to speak with him. We don't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus once a year. We experience the resurrection life every day of our lives. One of the things I never want us to forget is that Jesus is alive. And that means his presence is always with us. And the knowledge that Jesus is with us right now changes everything. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. It's a bit of a challenge. He says, do we go to God's house expecting something to happen? Or do we go just to listen to a sermon and sing our hymns and to meet with one another? How often does this vital idea enter into our minds that we are in the presence of the living God, that the Holy Spirit is in the church, and that we may feel the touch of his power? Is there not this appalling danger that we are just content because we have correct beliefs and we have lost the life, the vital thing, the power, the thing that really makes worship worship, worship, which is in spirit and in truth, worshiping the living God. If Jesus is alive, every time we meet together, Jesus is doing something. And we have to expect that Jesus is here. We know he's here. We expect his voice to be speaking, his spirit to be moving. And if we forget that, as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we lose the vital thing, the knowledge that he is alive. And so the resurrection of Jesus is not just a past event or a current or a future hope. It's a past event, a current reality, and a future hope. You know, I could have preached a sermon today, kind of an apologetic sermon, Right, Saying, here's how we know the resurrection happened. Here's the proof of the resurrection. However, as Martin Lloyd-Jones points out, we can become too content with simply having right beliefs and we forget that the faith we have is not really based on a correct set of facts but is a lived faith empowered by a living Savior who has united us with himself and given us his Holy Spirit. We can miss the fact, as Dr. Jones says, that the Holy Spirit is in the church. And we can touch of his power. If Jesus is alive and he's given us of his Holy Spirit, then we walk as an empowered people with the knowledge that Jesus walks with us. I never want to forget that following Jesus is not simply adhering to a correct set of beliefs, because our faith is in a living Savior. Jesus is the truth. He's my King and my Lord. And so Jesus died to redeem us. He rose from the grave defeating sin and death and has united us with him in that victory and given us the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised him from the dead so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right, so we can be empowered for holy living and for works of service. Because Jesus is alive, we have a purpose and a mission. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the works he had planned for you from long ago. And you can only do these works because you are an empowered people. Because Jesus is alive. Because his presence is within you by the Spirit. And that changes everything. If you're here today and you're unsure about what you believe about Jesus, can I invite you to open yourself up to the possibility that maybe you're here today because Jesus is calling you? And if you're interested in the accounts of people who've met Jesus... Our sermons for the next five weeks will be on the people in Jesus' life who had interactions with Jesus. So I just invite you to come and explore what those interactions might mean for you. If you had have some sense that Jesus is speaking you, to you today, I'd invite you to come on up and, uh, after, the, after the sermon, after the worship, and, and we can pray with you. I'll get the worship team to come on up. But as we close, I want us to be reminded today that we who follow Jesus are a resurrection people. This means we go through life with the presence of Jesus within us by his spirit. We have been made new creations in him, having been raised to new life with Christ. And in fact, our bodies have become a temple for the living God. That means we're never alone and we are not without power. And our great privilege is that we, a resurrection people, who have life abundant and life eternal within the Lord Jesus can share this hope that we have and call others out of death and into life. Jesus goes with us. His spirit empowers us. He is alive. He is our hope, our living hope. Let's worship together.